re-preach the sermon I preached on Sunday. I want to apologize to all of our online worshipers who uh, were unable to view uh, on Sunday. We had some technical difficulties, and we are working those out. But for today, we want to make certain that we can get this up for you to be able to, to at least see uh, what happened in the sermon. I do need to give a little disclaimer. In the sermon, I had an apple as a prop. And the apple was supposed to conjure up memories of the Garden of Eden and temptation. And uh, my grandson ate the apple. Uh, so I have here uh, a bottle of Hershey's syrup. Also something that might be tempting to some folks, and it's going to represent the apple. Okay? So with that, um, on Sunday I started a new series of sermons entitled Earthly Life, Kingdom Living. And in this series of sermons, I'm following along some of Jesus' uh, life and teaching through the Gospels of Matthew, Mark, and Luke. In the Gospels of Matthew, Mark, and Luke, Jesus goes about the countryside proclaiming that the kingdom of God is at hand. He then teaches folks the difference between earthly life and kingdom living. Not only does he teach them with his words, but he demonstrates to them uh, what kingdom living looks like. He goes about forgiving people of their sins in the midst of a world where folks are all too happy to hold a grudge or to try to get even and to refuse to forgive. He wants us to know that in the kingdom living means forgiveness. It's a value in the kingdom. We forgive as we are forgiven. He goes about tearing down walls of enmity that divide people. In a world where prejudice and where idolatry build up walls that separate people, Jesus wants, to know that, wants us to know that in the kingdom of God, all people are important, all people are valued. Whether a person is a Jew or a Gentile, a Samaritan or a Roman, young or old, male or female, all people are important and valued. He goes about the, uh, healing people in the midst of a world where there's much illness and death. He wants us to know that kingdom living is all about new life and it's about resurrection. Now, one of his favorite ways to help us try to understand kingdom living is by telling parables. Parables are short stories that come from everyday life that have a twist or a surprise built in. And this twist or surprise is intended to help us kind of reframe our thinking so we begin to understand our life and this world in a new, in a different way, in a kingdom kind of way. As stories that come from everyday life, he told stories about farmers because a lot of people farmed back then. He told stories about sheep because everybody either had sheep or knew people who had sheep. He told stories about family life and weddings. If, we were gonna, if he were going to tell parables today, he certainly would tell them about family life, but he might also tell them about the workplace and business world. He might tell stories about cycling or camping or the like. One of the dangers in using parables as a way to try to help people reframe their thinking is that parables require the hearer to do a lot of work. And so the hearer has to be willing to do that work. And if they don't do that work, then they're going to miss the point, And all they're going to hear is a nice little story. And that's about it. 
Now, I've had that experience myself. A few years back, I preached a sermon that was really just a parable. It was a parable intended to help people think in some new ways about some things in, that are important in life. After the sermon, uh, service was over, in the greeting line, a first-time visitor came through and shook my hand and said, Pastor, I came to hear about Jesus, and all you did was tell me about camping. Now, maybe I didn't execute the sermon well, but that is the danger in using parables, is that if a person doesn't want to go in that place where they have to do that hard work, it can, they can simply miss the point. Jesus talked about that very thing when he said, those who have ears to hear will hear. Now, we're going to begin this series of sermons with one of Jesus' simplest parables. It's the parable of the lost sheep. When Jesus tells this parable, he knows that the people who are listening already know a lot about sheep, which means they have a head start on us in figuring out the surprise. I asked on Sunday morning, how many of you here have been a shepherd or have sheep? And out of our over 700 people, only four people raised their hand. So most of us know very little about sheep or maybe our only exposure was in a petting zoo. But the first hearers, they understood a lot of things. One of the things they knew was that the average shepherd back then had about 10 sheep. 20 was a lot. If a person had 30 sheep, that person was considered wealthy. Jesus tells a story about a shepherd who has 100 sheep. And so the hearers knew that very, very few people ever had 100 sheep. This would be somebody who was very wealthy. And so it told them who this parable was directed toward. And sure enough, we see in Jesus telling the parable, it's directed toward the scribes and the Pharisees, those whom much is given to, much will be required. They also understood the terrain where the shepherd would take the sheep. Jesus gives us a hint that the shepherd has led the sheep into the wilderness when we hear that one of the sheep gets lost in the wilderness. The Judean wilderness uh, was pretty rugged country, and and the folks who are hearing it, they could picture it in their mind. Those of us in southern Nevada can kind of picture it too because it was a desert, dry and arid. It was, it was hilly, mountainous, very little vegetation. Picture of the hills and the mountains just outside of Boulder City on either side of the dam. It was kind of like that. Those first hearers knew the predators who lived in the Judean wilderness. There were mountain lions, there were desert wolves, and there were hyenas. And they knew that the wilderness was the place that King David was talking about when he wrote the 23rd Psalm. You know that part that says, Yea, though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I fear no evil, for thou art with me, thy rod and thy staff, they comfort me. That valley of the shadow of death, a place within the Judean wilderness where the shepherd would have to use a rod and a staff to protect the sheep. So with that, we need to pause for a moment. We're going to turn our attention uh, to the reading of Scripture. Wish I brought my glasses now. <laughs> okay, so the, the first Scripture comes from the Gospel of Luke, the 15th chapter. Now all the tax collectors... And sinners, and 
I'm going to tell it to you because I can't read it without my glasses. Luke chapter 15 begins that Jesus was eating with tax collectors and sinners. The scribes and the Pharisees began to grumble, saying, this person eats with tax collectors and sinners. So Jesus tells a parable. Which one of you, he says, having 100 sheep, if one of them wanders off into the wilderness, would not leave the 99 and, re and go after the one that was lost? And upon finding the one that was lost, would pick it up, put it over your shoulders, and take it home. Once home, you call your friends and you throw a party for your sheep was lost, but now it's found. So too, Jesus says, there is more rejoicing in heaven over one sinner being found than over 99 righteous people. We hear in Isaiah chapter 53, the sixth verse, that all like sheep have wandered and gone astray. And from Psalm 23, the Lord is my shepherd, I shall not want. He makes me to lie down in green pastures. He leads me beside the still waters. He restores my soul. He leads me down the paths of righteousness for his namesake. Yea, though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I fear no evil, for thou art with me. Thy rod and thy staff, they comfort me. Thou preparest a table before me in the presence of my enemies. Thou anointest my head with oil. My cup runneth over. Surely goodness and mercy shall follow me all the days of my life, and I shall dwell in the house of the Lord forever. The word of God for the people of God. Thanks be to God. Amen. So let's pray. May the words of my mouth and the meditations of our hearts be acceptable unto thee, O Lord our God, our rock and our redeemer. Amen. I used to think that sheep were dumb, dumb, smelly critters. And then one of our members, Mel, set me straight. Mel used to herd sheep. And he said sheep are actually pretty smart animals. Smarter than cows, he said. Maybe not as smart as pigs, but pretty smart. Smart enough that sheep can recognize the voice of their shepherd. Now, Jesus said this very thing once when he said, I am the good shepherd and my sheep recognize my voice. Sheep recognize the voice of their master, of the one who watches over and protects them. So Jesus says, the good shepherd, sheep recognize his voice. The thing about sheep is that they're the kind of animal for whom the grass is always greener on the other side, if you know what I mean. I mean, they can be grazing right here, nibbling away right here, when they see that there's some grass right over there on the other side of the fence. And if there's a way for them to f make their way over to the other side of the fence, they'll go and they'll start grazing there. But once there, they'll see that there's grass over there that looks even greener. And so they'll wander over there in order to graze. And once there, they'll see there's grass way out there that looks even greener. And so if they can make their way out there, they will, and they will start grazing there. Sheep are social animals. They like to stay together in a herd. They don't wander off because they want to be alone. They nibble their way lost. They nibble their way from here to there to there to out there. They nibble their way lost. 
Now, Jesus compares us to sheep, and I'm glad to hear that sheep aren't dumb, smelly critters, because that wouldn't be a very favorable comparison when it comes to us. But when you start thinking about how it is that they nibble their way lost, it makes some sense. Remember, Jesus places this parable in the Judean wilderness. Can anybody remember another story that takes place in the New Testament in the wilderness? The story of Jesus' temptation right after his baptism. He goes out into the wilderness where he fasts and prays for 40 days and 40 nights, and the devil comes and tempts him. And, of course, Jesus stands up to those temptations. He shows us how to keep from giving in to temptation, to keep focused on the very will of God. But we all know how hard it is to keep from giving in to temptation. We're kind of experts in the matter. This is important. I talk about this pretty often. In fact, I use this very image every couple of years because I want to keep it in your mind because to remind us of how it is that temptation actually works in our life. We're going about our lives trying to do the right thing, trying to stay in the straight and narrow, trying to keep our eyes fixed on Jesus, trying to follow Jesus when suddenly something comes along that tempts us. Whatever the temptation may be, the temptation is always take our eyes off of Jesus. And if we give in to the temptation, whatever the temptation may be, the temptation will always be to step away from following Jesus and to start going a little bit different direction in our life. Now, the way the temptation works in our life is pretty simple. That which tempts us has no power of its own. It only has the power that we give it. But we give it power. We think about it a little bit, we give it some power. We run it over in our minds some, we give it some power. We look around to see if anybody's going to notice, we give it some power. We smack our lips in anticipation, we give it some power. And the dangerous thing about temptation is you never know at what point you've given that which tempts you more power than you have left to resist it. Will it be when you're thinking about it? Will it be when you're running it through in your mind? Will it be when you're looking around to see if anybody's going to notice? Will it be when you're smacking your lips in anticipation? You never, you never know at what point you've given that which tempts you power than you have left to resist it. And as soon as you do, it becomes like this magnetic force, and soon you find yourself someplace you never really intended to go, doing something you never really intended to do. The way it is with temptation. Now, over the course of my ministry, I've talked to a lot of people. I've had many people come and tell me they don't know how they ended up where they ended up. They'll say they don't know how they got so lost, that they never planned on ending up the way they ended up or doing the things that they were doing. They just don't know how they got so lost. And, of course, we know how they got lost. We know how we get lost. We nibble our way lost. One temptation, and then another temptation, and then another temptation, and then another temptation, and with each one, we get further and further away from the life that we wanted to live. Our life becomes less than we ever hoped it to be. We kind of nibble our way lost. And it's been the story for all of us to some extent or another. I mean, some of us have nibbled our way lost just a little bit. And others have gotten lost by a long way. Some of us have been lost just for a short time. Some of us for a very long time. 
Isaiah says, like sheep, all of us have gone astray. We sing about this when we sing, Amazing grace, how sweet the sound that saved a wretch like me. I once was lost, but now I'm found. On Sunday morning, we sang about it when he said, Prone to wander, Lord, I feel it. Prone to leave the God I love. It's what St. Paul was talking about when he said, All have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. Like sheep, all of us have strayed. It's our story. So Jesus tells a parable. He says, which one of you, having a hundred sheep, if one wandered off, wouldn't leave the 99 and go and find the one that was lost? And the answer to that question was none of them. He was talking to the scribes and the Pharisees, and none of them would have left the 99 to go after the one lost sheep. And it's important for us to understand this in order to understand the weight of this parable that none of them would have gone after the lost sheep. They would have cut their losses. They would have figured it's going to get what it deserves. I'm not going out at the end of the day when the mountain lions and the desert wolves and the hyenas are out looking for lost sheep. I'm not going to risk my life. It's going to get what it deserves. They're going to cut their losses. None of them would have gone. And how do we know that none of them would have gone? Because that's how they were living their lives. Remember the context of the parable. Jesus was spending time with sinners. And it was the scribes and the Pharisees who started grumbling about that, saying, this guy spends time with those people. He spends time with those people rather than us. They were interested in the 99, the people like them. But they, were, they had already cut their losses when they came to the sinners. And in the end, isn't that kind of how the world is? Really? I mean, in the world, people are expendable. Not, not your people, not my people, but those people the way the world works. One of them wanders off, well, they're going to get what they deserve. Right? They'll get what they deserve. So in the world, we cut people off all the time. We make decisions and don't worry about them. But kingdom living is different, Jesus wants us to understand. In the kingdom of God, all people are important. In the kingdom of God, every life matters. Every life matters. And if there's even one person who is lost, we cannot rest until we've helped them to be found. Now, this is good news for the scribes and the Pharisees. They just don't understand it. They don't understand that they themselves are lost. The very fact that they had given up on a group of people indicates that they had separated themselves from the very will of God, they themselves were lost. And so Jesus tells a parable. Which one of you, having a hundred sheep, if one wanders away and gets lost, wouldn't leave the other 99 and go after the one? And this is a story of relentless love. 
the relentless love of God who refuses to give up on you, who refuses to give up on me, who refuses to give up on the scribes and the Pharisees. This is a story of God's relentless love of how it is that Christ Jesus would go out after the lost sheep at the end of the day when all the predators are out. The good shepherd willingly lays down his life for his sheep. God loves us that much that Christ would lay down his life that we would be found. Which of you, having a hundred sheep, if one of them wanders off, wouldn't leave the other 99 and go after the one that's lost? And when you find the one that's lost, you pick it up, you put it over your shoulders, you carry it home. And once home, you call your friends, you throw a party because my sheep was lost and now it's found. Did you hear how the sheep got home? In our world, people have to find their own way back. In our world, if they've done something wrong, they've got to come and beg for mercy. In our world, they've got to do the work. But kingdom living is different from that. We're not born into the kingdom. We don't wander into the kingdom. We are carried into the kingdom by the grace and the mercy and the love of God. We are carried into the kingdom by the grace and and the mercy and the love of God. And no matter where you've wandered, no matter how far away you've gotten, how long you've been gone, the Good Shepherd is calling out to you, hoping you will recognize his voice long enough to stop nibbling so he can pick you up and carry you home. The good news of the gospel of Jesus Christ. Thanks be to God. Amen? Amen.